Hello and welcome to another episode of Keep It Civil, the engineering podcast from UCL Civil Environmental and Geomatic Engineering. And today we're going to be talking about density and density matters, uh, as the dramatic title suggests, and more specifically how this relates to governance and resilience in uh, Mumbai. And we're joined by Rachna Levesque, who is an urban planner and currently doing doctoral research in the Centre for Urban Sustainability and Resilience in the department here at UCL. Hi, Rachna. Thanks for coming along today. Um, so first of all, we're going to be, after that little preamble, we're going to be talking a bit about density and how that relates to cities. Um, but can you explain briefly what, what we mean by density and in, in this kind of context? Well, urban density is understood generally as the number of people in a unit area of a city. Mm-hmm. So simply okay. total number of people divided by total area. Okay. Um, except that one can include only residents or people living there, or they, you can also include people who are working there or there for other activities such as schooling, leisure, or tourism. For most people, intuitively, density is what defines cities as opposed to a rural area or a suburb. Of course. Because it's yeah. what makes cities vibrant. Okay. Um, and kind of based on what you just said there, so do people interpret density differently? There seems to be different ways you can kind of play around with the word density. Definitely, definitely. Um, frequently, people relate quite strongly to how many people are living in a particular area of the city. Mm-hmm. But when you think about that, uh, you may choose to include a whole neighborhood or okay. the whole city. Or in, so you would include vacant areas or parts of the city that are not occupied by housing. I see, okay. Or you might only think about all the residential areas mm-hmm. in a neighborhood. On the other hand, some people would consider floor space per person. So actual built floor space available. Okay. So, you know, like so many people have a 55 meter square flat yeah. or so on, and then take the average of that. Now, uh, it's worth saying that the average person probably relates high densities to high rise buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always the case because often some buildings might lie empty or they might be occupied by non-residential users. So that's another variation on the theme of density. And also some areas are high employment areas. So if we think of central London, mm-hmm. it got, it's got an immense daytime density in large numbers of people in the city for jobs. Yeah. But in the nighttime, that falls immensely because the number of people residing there are different. So again, you have daytime concepts of daytime density versus nighttime density. Then it depends on the practitioner or the, you know, the professional you're speaking to when you speak about density. So some people will talk about density of infrastructure flows. For example, transport planners will refer to density of bus routes, how many people trips in a particular area, Mm -hmm. uh, movements, and and so on. Yeah. Um, And similarly for people providing water they might talk about how many pipes you know of course um, yeah okay. but that's kind of going a bit far what's really interesting is that some people speak about lived density and perceived density which is how a number of people in an area relates to crowding or noise okay. you know so more behavioral issues um whether there's enough visual privacy or what the sense of spaciousness is so yes people interpret it in many many different ways But basically, the way I look at it is it's number of people and number of jobs Mm -hmm. um, or intensity of land use in a particular area. Okay. Because that provides an idea of how how much is happening in a particular or how the city is being used. And so why exactly are we talking about density today? Why is it an important concept? Well, for a long time now, um, density is held to be the holy grail in urban planning 
for sustainability. Okay. Um, so it's promoted by a number of urban planning approaches. So we think about new urbanism, which talks about mixed use mm -hmm. along with high density living. Um, or you, uh, we can talk about transit-oriented development, which talks about these particular nodes within the city where um, where higher densities are achieved around metro stations and train stations so that more people walk to work mm -hmm. or take public transport to work. Um, and that's also alongside the idea of polycentric cities. So you might have satellite cities and city centers. And again, it's meant to encourage uh, more public transport, more walking and cycling. And so there are a number of planning models that have promoted density explicitly or implicitly. But also um, organizations such as the World Bank, the OECD, UN Habitat are promoting higher densities through their compact cities agenda okay. as a means of delivering sustainability. Okay. So it's a, it's a hot topic. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, so why exactly do these planners and these international organizations, why are they promoting density and urban density, as you say? Um, so well, it's me. It's considered as a means to sustainability, and mm -hmm. the arguments are diverse. Um, higher density is considered to reduce the need for travel, so traveling to work, traveling to, um, you know, for leisure, and therefore you reduce carbon emissions. Okay. Or oh, those are the claims. Um, you, so as a result, you would reduce air pollution, noise. Um, there are claims to say that the generation of solid waste or the amount of solid waste produced is reduced and the consumption of energy and water is reduced in higher density living. Okay. There, and, there, and there are various ways that people claim that to be the case. Then also people say if people are living closer, then there's more inclusiveness mm -hmm. and less social segregation between uh, groups and uh, uh, partially because of the higher but enhanced access to facilities. Um, also, density is claimed to reduce greenfield development. Okay. So you're not developing on agricultural land or green spaces outside the city and therefore minimize degradation of the environment. Mm -hmm. um, and also infrastructure is more effective because you have to provide infrastructure over shorter distances or in more localized areas. So, for example, if you're providing water, you only have to provide water pipes to cover a smaller area and then longer, longer pipes to connect to whatever reservoirs or treatment facilities exist. I see. Okay. So the investments in public infrastructure are much more um, efficient. And that's an economic argument for it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, uh, it's claimed to enable affordable housing. So, And that's not just that you're squeezing people into smaller places. Mm -hmm. But it's also that if developers are providing high-density housing or large developments are taking place, then you can uh, city authorities and, and can actually negotiate how what stock is affordable housing. Uh, so there's that. And the, the other claims are that it improves public health, it improves literacy, it boosts economic productivity, mm -hmm. and generally improves residents' quality of life. But one has to go into each claim to kind of think about how valid it is. Yeah, I was going to... Ask actually because you said that all these are, are claims or people say that this is the case. Is is this actually true for for all of these all of these points that you mentioned? Or well, there's lots of criticisms of urban density. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say that they are under the surface because they're not as or they're less loudly voiced than um, arguments for for density in terms of sustainability. But yes, people would say things like. 
Well, the use of public transport actually corresponds more to socioeconomic status than to density. And uh, people might not travel to work in the same place. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about transit-oriented development or polycentric cities or high densities and then people working locally, mm. the two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. I see. Okay. Um, similarly, um, people talk about uh, uh, lower carbon emissions in, in denser areas um, because when you calculate the carbon emissions in a city, you're not calculating everything that the city pulls in from the outside. Mm-hmm. So goods used in a city are generally produced elsewhere, outside the city and often outside the country as well. Yeah. So the emissions are then consumption-based rather than production-based. And so that um, makes the claims very difficult to justify. And also, the, uh, sometimes increasing urban density means the loss of local green spaces or uh, dialect land that might actually house eco- you know, mm-hmm. valuable habitats. Yeah, yeah. So again, those loss of habitats is sometimes not taken into account when advocating for density. I see, okay. And also, is increased density always better for social equity? Um, it might have an, uh, at, when people are pushed closer, sometimes they tend to avoid each other more or there are examples in London whereby affordable housing sits alongside gentry, you know, gentrified housing. Yeah. yeah but yeah. do those people interact? You know, those claims are often questionable. Um, there are claims about how residents quality of life is affected. Um, and particularly this very interesting study from Hong Kong. Um, which has some of the highest densities in the world, about yeah. how people live in very compact spaces and the psychological impact of living in very small spaces and having to organize your life around a bed and a dining table, which also couples as your living room. So those psychological impacts are really interesting. And generally, one of the strongest arguments against density that I find is one from Michael Brehney, who says, that density actually is not always feasible because it's dictated by market trends. Mm -hmm. And particularly in the UK, that previous trends of supply and demand tend to say that people favor low-density suburban living. So what's the the kind of rationale behind pushing for higher density? But in summary, density may or may not be uh, sustainable in any given context. Um, my feeling is that it is very context-specific, the sustainability uh, potential of density. I see. And so how, as you're an urban planner, and so I'm assuming it's urban planners who are making these kind of decisions, how exactly do you decide if having a higher density kind of urban area is the the best solution to try and get a more sustainable city? Um, Well, one bit that I've kind of referred to but not said explicitly Mm -hmm is that increasing the density in a city has linked impacts uh, within the city as well as outside it. Mm. So, uh, for example, if there are more people, more jobs or more activities uh, in a part of a city, then it has an impact not only on the built-up area required in that part of the city, but also on the transport systems required Uh, The management of waste, um, also the transport required then to move Mm. that waste. So then these would have a follow-on impact on the air quality, the noise in the area, following on from that on public health, um, possibly ecosystems in the area. Um, So similarly, you could take the example of water, provision of water uh, in in an area of increased density. Mm -hmm. Um, It has an impact on local and regional water bodies, 
um, regional ecosystems, food production, etc. So the bottom line is that when delivering higher densities, where and how much to increase densities in the city has to be a conversation. And it requires discussion amongst a number of agencies and various departments within the city authority, but also regional authorities, other agencies, say, who might provide energy, water, and so on, or managed environmental assets. Also, businesses who would provide jobs to accommodate the increasing populations. And then other groups, such as NGOs and citizen groups, who who might associate themselves with a variety of topics there. So it's not a simple policy measure for one urban planner to decide. It's this, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it a very complex in, web. Of, it is a complex web. Yeah. yeah, that's a very beautiful way of putting it. It is a complex web of kind of negotiations and collaborations and discussions mm-hmm. on what the way forward uh, for the city or a part of the city is okay. in terms of higher densities. Okay. Um, one word we mentioned, uh, or I mentioned at the start, is, is resilience. Um, and people always talk about resilient cities and sustainable cities. And it seems that cities are always evolving and moving forward. People can try and control that or they, they can't. But people want, obviously want cities to be more sustainable because of all the very obvious reasons. Uh, so how exactly do we try to make cities evolve more towards sustainability and, and being sustainable? And what do people have to, to consider um, from a resilience point of view? And also, what exactly do we mean by resilience in this kind of context where people might not know? Yeah, um, well, yeah, the resilience is one word that we mentioned right in the title of the, yeah. of the podcast. But um, it's interesting. It's important to understand that cities are not stable entities, mm. though we might think of cities as stable they're really evolving. They're not in a steady state or an equilibrium. So one useful way I find is that we're not the city of 50 years ago or 20 years ago for that matter. Mm -hmm. So 20 or 50 years later, we wouldn't like to be like we are today. So we are constantly evolving um, urban life. And we're evolving for a number of reasons, as in cities are evolving for a number of reasons. So it's not just an external shock like an economic crisis or a disaster that's Mm -hmm. forcing us to respond or change. But it's actually change driven by people's aspirations, societal aspirations, changing technologies, um, changing lifestyles, just various, various uh, things. And also cities uh, now want to be globally competitive. So they want to be the next world-class city, the next slum-free city, the next inclusive city, smart city, you know, you have it. I mean, smart city has been on the agenda for, what, the past four, five years? We'll have something next on the horizon very quickly. So change is incremental, constant. It's experimental when you think about cities. When we talk about resilience in general, people often understand it as coming back to this state we were in before. But cities don't come back. Otherwise, we'd still be the 60 or 50 years ago. Cities evolve. So in resilience terms, we don't bounce back or bounce forward. Mm -hmm. We actually evolve and change and adapt. I see. And when we're talking about urban planning and resilience, Mm -hmm. resilience refers then to the ability of people involved. So I've talked about urban planners being involved, city governments being involved, but also NGOs, authority, you know, citizen groups, all of these uh, businesses being Mm -hmm. involved involved, uh, in uh, 
making decisions about the city. Yeah. So resilience would be understood as the ability of all of these people to come together to adapt and transform the city in the face of change, hopefully in a desirable direction. Yeah. And when we're talking about density and sustainability, hopefully in a, in a way that delivers density for sustainability. And so is this so far, this, this podcast, we've talked a lot about density and a lot about uh, resilience and as they relate to cities. But I'm guessing that there's a link between these two and there's a reason we're talking about both of them. Yes. The reason we're talking about both of them is that I argue that delivering higher densities because delivering density is such a complex issue, mm -hmm. bringing together a number of interrelated groups or groups that should be interrelated across the city, uh, that it actually requires decisions in a city to be made in a resilient manner. I see. Okay. That's really interesting. So it, it requires the involvement of these multiple stakeholders, actors, agencies at different scales. So when I say scale, I mean neighborhood, uh, city, uh, region, uh, nationally, and mm -hmm. probably internationally. Because when we talk about the World Bank and UN influencing, trying to influence cities towards being more compact. So these actors across multiple scales coming together to navigate the city on an uncertain trajectory towards higher density and possibly towards greater sustainability. And as we mentioned, it's important to understand it's not just one organization or authority, but it's this myriad of groups that yeah. come together. And out of interest, how often do these groups come together and, and work together for, for, to try and make cities more sustainable? Uh, or is it kind it's of the ideal? It's very context-specific, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Or um, it has a link onto what sustainability agenda we're looking at. So density right. is just one of them. Yeah. But there are groups around save your local park, which are very local, of mm -hmm. course, or uh, save the ecosystems or the, you know, save Dartford Creek. Um, then there'll be groups around encouraging recycling. So these are very local level groups, but yeah. there'll be city level initiatives around green transport, um, you know, so we're talking about density, but when we're talking about groups about sustainability coming together, it really depends upon which sustainability agenda we're picking up. Okay. Which is why I find density quite useful to pick up, because it's not limited to a particular sector like transport or waste, but actually requires groups to collaborate across sectors. And so what does this all mean for uh, for cities themselves and how they how they evolve? Well, these multiple actors coming together to make decisions rather than one urban planner or one uh, city authority mm -hmm. making decisions. Traditionally, that's how it's been. Master planners sat in city authorities. We're talking 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. Um, sat in city authorities and they would make decisions on where the city would go and plan for what was to be provided for social housing, green spaces, parks. Mm -hmm. And that's how planners thought of how planning should be done. But increasingly, it's big businesses being involved. Um, so corporates, um, NGOs, citizen groups being involved. And it just makes decision making in cities much more complex. I can imagine, yeah. Um, I mean, I was just reading this morning about how the IKEAs and the Tesco's and the Auchan's of France are actually responsible for large scale planning of parts of cities. Really? And... Um, 
branding them as sustainable because everyone wants to be sustainable. Of course, yeah. But uh, of course, whether then providing big lawns is sustainable or not is kind of a discussion for another time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so a lot of other stakeholders are involved and that just makes decision-making in cities a very dynamic, complex, evolving issue but also an issue representing a number of ish interests. So if we're talking about big businesses and residents coming together, they don't necessarily have the same understandings of sustainability, mm -hmm. the same interests in terms of uh, delivering, because one might have more of a profit. Um, I, I mean, I'm simplifying things yeah, here, but, yeah, but, well, you know, like real estate uh, d developers might have more of a profit eye, whereas residents will have more eye on the quality of so quality of life, social amenities mm. and so on. Um, so it's it becomes a task of negotiation and kind of also exerting power to reach a, a, an outcome. Mm -hmm. And uh, not everyone gets their way, but it makes it's this transition of what used to be called government in decision making to governance in decision-making, whereby this happens across multiple scales and across a period of time that decisions in cities get made. Um, and I know you've worked uh, looking at Mumbai as an example of, of density and resilience in cities. Using that as an example, are there particular factors that you've seen that have helped or, or hindered resilience or particular contextual issues? Yeah, Mumbai is a city that's grappled with density for at least a century, with strong migration from neighboring states in mm -hmm. India and so on. Um, but it's not a city that's had a very active policy environment with respect to density. Okay. If anything, the, the movement has been towards preventing migration and preventing overcrowding. So that's been the fear. And that's been okay. a, a common planner's fear throughout the world almost you could say that places shouldn't be too crowded because it wasn't healthy yeah and it wasn't good so yeah. um which is we've taken a planning shift in terms of coming uh, coming forward in terms of now advocating for higher densities for sustainability so in mumbai i found that people form networks but the success stories really come when these networks transcend bureaucrats and citizen groups or, you know, citizen groups and a particular type of interest. Mm -hmm. So that's where the success stories come from. Another thing I noticed was that the formal knowledge sharing is really limited. So departments don't even share information amongst each other. Really? Okay. Within the city government. Um, but also, let alone agencies sharing information with each other. And also it's a system that has so not only these silos amongst departments, but also distrust, which harbors conflict rather than negotiation and collaboration. Yeah. So when we're talking about navigating a city for a denser and more sustainable outcome, then you you find that the governance system itself is perhaps not conducive to to that delivering that. I see. Now uh, there are a number of public platforms. Um, there are a number of public meetings. There are various committees on which uh, resident groups may sit or academics might be invited. But they tend to be ceremonial. I mean, mm. when I say people are invited, they really are invited to attend, but not to participate often. I see. Um, even though people try to grasp every opportunity to participate. So there's really like in contrast to London where 
you have a bit of participation fatigue. People really try to participate, but it's often ceremonial. Mm. And the inputs are not taken on board because they were never meant to be taken on board. It's just to have those people. I see. It's just a kind of pay lip service to the... It's a lip service. Then in terms of formal action on density, Mm -hmm. um, formal actors are sometimes apathetic. They're limited to their departmental remits. You could say they're under-resourced, have too much work. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, as I said, there's occasional collusion between officers and citizen interests and them coming together to say, hey, this really has to be done. It's not right Mm -hmm. that... So-and-so is taking taking over this local park and developing it for profit. Let's go and do this. Mm -hmm. So we find stories like that or or the other way around that actually this development needs to happen, but it needs to happen in a certain way. Mm. So um, this sort of collusion. Um, But one of the or two things rather stand out that really between NGOs, between citizen groups, between authority well, not so much authorities, but yes, between between these people who get involved and want really to participate, they're very extreme viewpoints. So people who want to save the flamingos want to save the flamingos. Mm-hmm. And people who want to save their local park want to save their local park. Those who want a slum-free city want exclusively that. So actors have are very wedded to their viewpoints. Yeah. And often... Because they're so close to their viewpoints, they're unable to move and negotiate. So, for example, someone wanting a slum-free city won't say, "Well, actually, we can rehabilitate. You know, we can uh, house these people people in this other way, which is also beneficial, and mm-hmm. then we provide open space for both them and us." Because there might be other criteria, such as not actually wanting to interact with people from the slums. I see, okay. That might get in the way. Yeah. So because they're so wedded to what they want, people want maybe slum people out of the city or they want their local park and that's it. Yeah. So these viewpoints really negate opportunities for dialogue and compromise between different different groups. And even sometimes when people have very similar agendas, such as environmental agendas, such as birds and open space, mm you might find that they are unable to collaborate because they have such fixed ideas about what action must be taken. I see. So there's not that much flexibility between these extreme points of view. So, yes, it's it's the need for flexibility mm. and you might say resilience in some way. Yeah. Um, the second thing I found was that there's this world city agenda that's very prominent in Mumbai for a number of years now. And... The attempt to create a world city kind of homogenizes outcomes because then Mumbai wants to be exactly like New York or exactly like Singapore. Mm. And then it places a preference for certain types of projects such as infrastructure or a landmark high rise over actually understanding what the city's need for density are, Mm. where it should go, how it should be developed and how it could meet the needs of, say, social equity or inclusion or access to public spaces and all of those things that density is meant to deliver Yeah, so it's kind in of terms of sustainability. Wanting to have what other people have got and grab the headline rather than tackling the, the issue for, for the city itself. It's very much headline-oriented, yeah. yes. And, and it homogenizes it. It doesn't consider 
the specifics of Mumbai, mm. but it also doesn't consider the specifics within Mumbai because a city is not homogenous yeah. either. So um, that's those. There are lots of lost opportunities, but the hope really, surprisingly, comes from things that happen on the ground. Really, these people saying, "Okay, let's spruce up that local park. Mm-hmm. Let's do this on a very small scale. So you know, clear up the drains, um, respond to the floods. Mumbai had huge floods in two thousand and five, and the response to that was phenomenal." So these small-scale things, really, kind of small-scale actions by citizen organizations, NGOs, really make a difference at the city level, which mm. is quite surprising because you'd expect the city authority to actually have a lead, yeah, or some sort of city government or organization to actually have a lead in what happens on the city. And it's all coming from below instead. It seems to be all coming from below. Oh well. And so, what does all of this mean for for Mumbai and for delivering? density for for a more sustainable outcome in Mumbai? The question is, what can this tell us, really? Mm. Um, uh, how, how density is delivered in Mumbai? What does that tell us about the city's resilience and ability to deliver sustainability? Yeah. Um, so in terms of the capacity of actors to come together, I've kind of narrated some stories about how the, what the barriers are to, for them to come together. Yeah. But another thing to think about is in what in what time scale are they resilient then? So um, we see that small-scale actions are really effectively implemented and, and good outcomes are achieved with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, higher density outcomes, sometimes sustainable outcomes. And you actually see action be realized at that scale. Right. But when it comes to long-term strategic planning, which requires an active city authority or active um, voices at the city scale, we find that actually things start to fall apart a little bit Mm -hmm. because there's not that capability, perhaps, for joined-up, integrated thinking that's required for density to be delivered. I see. Um, So while that might sound quite pessimistic, uh, what we have... the data is throwing up as well that perhaps resilience doesn't exist only at one scale in cities. Okay. So, for example, in London, there's quite a strong strategic planning um, authority and direction setting. But perhaps in Mumbai, resilience or cities like Mumbai, resilience operates somewhat differently, mm-hmm. whereby a lot of planning is done informally by citizens, even if it's not termed planning in the professional sense and allows this short-term responsiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps uh, as professionals, we need to think about how cities operate and what's more resilient, what's the right way of delivering policy. And certainly there's a lot of literature out there, a lot of people thinking about north versus south planning and so on. Yeah. Um, but that's the topic for another podcast, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks very much, Rachna, for, for coming along today and talking to us about density and uh resilience in cities um well i i would just like to say thank you very much for inviting me and You're thank you welcome. also very much uh, for to my funders my research is funded by epsrc and bureau happled um the city's team there and uh, just allows me to explore um, these topics in a very practical way uh, for which i'm very grateful thanks if you uh like keep it civil you can 
Find more of these podcasts on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash C-E-G-E underscore UCL. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter at C-E-G-E underscore UCL. You can find out more about Ratchner's research. Um, she's on Twitter as well, at Ratchner Levesque. And um, if you follow the uh, USAR Centre at UCL underscore USAR, there's a lot more of these urban sustainability and resilience uh, stories that are being put out. And we're going to end today's show with a short announcement from us here at Keep It Civil. We want to make sure that we keep putting out the highest quality programmes on some of the most interesting topics. And to that end, we've decided we're going to turn Keep It Civil into a podcast series. This is going to be the final episode of Series 1, after which we'll be taking a short break over the holidays. And then we'll be back early next year with Series 2 of Keep It Civil, the engineering podcast from UCL, with more stories and more topics from the fascinating world of civil environmental and geomatic engineering. A huge thank you to all of you who download and listen to Keep It Civil. If you like the show, please do tell your friends and rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher so that more people can have their minds blown by engineering. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. 